So this is the uh, Feast of Pentecost. It is the birthday of the church. And as I mentioned to the children, it is the day that we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit that in, in empowered and, and uh, lived in and, and brought the church into being. Jesus had, had uh, risen seven weeks earlier on Easter, and he... Uh, spent the next uh, six weeks nearly with his disciples, uh, appeared to them uh, up to several hundred at one point, and then about ten days before Pentecost, he told them, I'm going away, but you stay in the city until you're equipped with power from on high. And so Jesus has been gone ten days. The disciples are meeting together in the uh, town of Jerusalem, and the Spirit comes on them. So it is the birthday of the church. The church did not exist until Pentecost, and it has existed ever since then. So uh, it is it is a happy occasion. It is the occasion we celebrate every year for Pentecost. And what has that got to do with Ezekiel? Well, as we hear in in the in the book of Acts, Peter says to the the crowd that's gathered there, uh, the crowd is going, "What's going on here?" And Peter says, "This is what's." been foretold from from way back in the days of the prophets the prophet joel for example had said that in the last days god would pour out his spirit on all flesh that that uh, all of humanity would be uh, uh, given the gift of the holy spirit that the whole church would spring into being when the spirit was poured out on them uh, not just one or two prophets from time to time there might be a prophet ministering in the area but the entirety of god's people would be given the Holy Spirit. Men and women, free and slave, young and old, that everyone would be given the gift of the Holy Spirit and they would have prophetic insight. So if we are to celebrate Pentecost, we're to celebrate what that means. What does it look like? What does it look like to have prophetic insight? And so we turn to the book of Ezekiel to understand what prophetic insight is like. To see this example, because Ezekiel is somebody who has seen it all. He has seen too much even. Ezekiel was part of that first generation of Israelites who had seen the the conquest of their country by Babylon. He had seen the rape and the murder, the pillage, the burning, the looting. He had seen so much devastation with his own eyes. And then he saw the the survivors who were who were carried off into slavery in Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel had seen too much, and his book is filled with these horrific statements of what had happened. And I think we can relate to Ezekiel particularly well because we have seen too much. I saw I saw a statistic the other day that said that, believe it or not, despite what you may believe, this is actually one of the safest times in history to be a human. That the the violent death rate is lower than it's been in the past couple of thousand years. But we don't see that because we have TV and we have the Internet. We have radio and, and newspapers. And so we're aware of all of the death and carnage, all the violence around the world. We're aware of the wars going on um, in the Ukraine and in Syria. We're aware of the refugee crisis that uh, in the Mediterranean where hundreds of thousands of people fleeing the Middle East and Africa have fled to, to um, uh, Europe in leaky boats. Uh, some of them sinking. We've seen these horrors with, uh, not with our own eyes, but 
on on the TV. We've seen this similar sort of crisis in the Indonesian Sea, where again uh, immigrants are trying to get to any country that would take them, and doing so in dangerous boats. We've seen we've seen non-state actors. We've seen stories, horrors like ISIS and Boko Haram that are doing all kinds of devastation. And we've seen that from from just plain groups of thugs. Mexican drug cartels, just this week, we heard about a big shootout in Mexico. We heard about a big shootout in Waco, Texas, between um, between biker gangs. And we're just aware of so much violence, so much horror in the world, um, not because we're personally witnessing it the way Ezekiel did, but because, because we're tapped into uh, things going on around the world in a way that previous generations weren't. So in that sense, we're like Ezekiel because we've seen it all. And so we look at the book of Ezekiel, we see this prophet who is aware of what has happened in his own community, in his own culture. He's aware of all the the horrors that people have experienced. And his book has so little hope in it. It's it's largely, it it, it reminds me as I read it, it, it looks to me as if God himself is sickened by what has happened. And the visions that, that Ezekiel has given are uh, not so much to justify, to, but to explain what has happened, how there are these long catalogs of the way that Israel has has been unfaithful, and, and this terrifying vision where God's spirit, God's, uh, God's the glory of God, the, the uh, glory of the presence of God departs the temple. It actually hovers up out of the temple and then heads away. And as God's protection is withdrawn, the neighbors pounce. And so uh, Israel is conquered by this uh, foreign empire. And there is so little comfort in this book. The, the closest thing to comfort in most of it is, is this assurance that's made from time to time that God has seen what has happened, that God is aware of what's going on with these neighbors. He knows, he knows what the enemies have done, and he says they will face a reckoning. There's so little hope. And then, finally, in chapter 36, the chapter before we read, God says, but that's not the end of the story. There is more to this story. God promises to restore the people to the land. And he says, and more than that, it won't be like before. I will put in you a new heart. I will change what kind of people you are so you're not facing the same kind of problems. And then that brings us to chapter 37. Ezekiel has this vision. He says, the hand of the Lord came upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. He set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. So these are the bones, some great battle has happened, and it's not happened yesterday, it's happened months or years ago. There's no hope. The bones are long dead. There's no survivors lost somewhere in the in the carnage. He says, mortal, can these bones live? And he says, no, of course they can't live. But he holds out the hope. God may do whatever God wants, that there's no telling what God will do. So he says, I answered, O Lord God, you know. And God says to him, prophesy to the bones. And he gives him instructions. He says, prophesy to the bones, um, call them back into being, restore them. And I will put breath on you and you shall live. And you'll know that I am the Lord. And so he prophesied and the bones came together and flesh and skin came upon them. But there was no breath in them. So God tells him again, prophesy to the breath, say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slains that they may live. 
And so he prophesied, and the breath came into them, and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And then because this vision has been so so eerie and so uh, uncanny, he is given an explanation. God explains to him, these bones represent the lost of Israel. They've been scattered first in the deportation by Assyria a hundred years ago, and now more recently in, in, in Ezekiel's own time, they've been taken into captivity in Babylon. He says, I'm going to bring them back from where they are. I'm going to bring them up from their graves Bring them back to the land of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. I will place you on your own soil, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. So, this is a vision. It's really, that's pretty much it. If you if you kind of want the Cliff Notes version of, of Ezekiel, this chapter and the one before are pretty much the only hope you find in the entire book. There's just so little so little to enjoy in Ezekiel, so much that's disturbing, so much that's depressing. But there is this. And what Peter says at Pentecost is that is what has happened. God has poured out his Spirit on the church, giving them the gift of the Spirit so they might have prophetic insight, the kind of insight that lets an Ezekiel say, in the midst of all this horror, in the midst of all this wreckage and ruin, there is yet hope. So Peter says that's what's happened, and that's what the church believed. That's what they experienced. It's what the church actually lived out in the rest of the book of Acts and in the rest of history. In a world that had war, the church invented the idea of a non-combatant. In a world that had only known the idea of us versus them, the church invented the idea that some of the people on that side are not your enemy. In, in, in a world that was filled with sickness and disease, the church invented the public hospital. In a world that was filled with slavery, the church invented the idea that there need not be slavery. In a world where children were either useful or discarded, the church invented the idea of an orphanage. In a world that was filled with ignorance, the church invented the university and led the way in providing education universally. The church has looked at horrors. The church has looked at wreckage and ruin. And with prophetic vision, the church has seen not what is, but what could be. I work for a church. I mean, it's my day job. And so I pay attention to news about the church that maybe some of you don't. And I know I've spoken with a couple of you about this, but there was news, a big survey came out, a great big survey came out a couple of weeks ago talking about the status of the church. And when I looked at that survey, all I could think of was dry bones because I'm part of a denominational church and uh, the, the future of the denominational churches in America don't look very bright. There's a lot of dry bones in that report. Um, we're aging, we're we're um, shrinking, and uh, there are two generations that have almost nothing to do with us right now. Millennials and uh, uh, Gen Xers just increasingly walking away from the denominational church. Not just the mainline church, not just the more liberal Protestant churches, but even the evangelical Protestant churches. Denominations are dying out in our country. 
And so I, I read that and I see the dry bones. But what I also see in that report is there are people with prophetic vision who have seen a new vision for what the future of the church might look like. And they're saying that the institutions and structures that worked in the past are not going to work in the future. And they have the vision to say, this is what the church will look like in the days ahead. And so I, I don't personally have that vision, but I am encouraged by the fact there are people within the church who've been given a vision of what might be. And that's because that's my reality. That's that's where my retirement's going to come from. And I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know the things that weigh on your heart. Maybe it's the things you see on the news. Maybe it's the, the Boko Harams and the ISISs. But maybe it's something a lot closer to home. Maybe it's what we heard about earlier, Alaska and oil revenue and jobs. Maybe you're concerned about pocketbook issues. And you look at your situation and you say, I see dry bones. But what Pentecost reminds us is the gift of the Spirit enables us to see not what is, but what may be. Maybe maybe your circumstance, your dry bones are a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with your grandchildren. Maybe it's with one of your in-laws where you're just saying, there's just no hope for that. We are cut off. We are dry bones. And what Pentecost reminds us is that we have been given prophetic insight to see not what might be, not what is, but what might be. So that is what I encourage you to do. Look at your life. Look at the places and say, well, this is fine. I don't have any issues there. Everything's wonderful there. But then look at the places and say, you know, when I look at that piece of my life, when I look at that piece of the world, I see dry bones. And then use the prophetic imagination that we have been given the kind of imagination that put an end to the slave trade, that invented the hospital, that invented the university, that invented non-combatancy. And say, how can God breathe life into these dry bones? May our church, may our congregation, but the greater church as well, be a church that sees not what is, but what may be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Pentecost and we give you thanks for pouring out your Spirit upon us. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes of the prophet, that we may see not just the dry bones in our life and in our world, but the vast multitude standing on their feet, living and knowing that you are God. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.